Today's scripture is Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 17. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is, a fa- is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, come on, that can't be right, can it? I love money. Anybody else? I mean, maybe that's an overstatement. At least I, I, hope, I hope that it's an overstatement. Uh, but I, I sure like it a lot, people. I don't know about you. Anybody else? Like money, let's, it's pretty great, isn't it? Yes, there's a few honest people out there. Uh, it's pretty amazing what you can do and experience with money. It's like, it's like that first crush that all of us had that just never really left. I grew up with a, in a family of six, and we didn't have a lot. I didn't ever really know that we were poor, but I do clearly remember my parents explaining to me uh, that I received reduced and sometimes even free lunches at school. Uh, we always had what we needed, but there was still kind of a, an, an air of scarcity in our house and the powerlessness that comes with it. And that, that shapes you when you grow up, doesn't it? Like, you don't have to be rich to love money. And I, I can remember at an early age doing whatever I could to, to get more money. I didn't, I didn't need it. I just wanted it, right? So I remember uh, from like really young, as soon as I could push a lawnmower, like mowing yards for different family friends around, I'd, I'd do that, rake leaves for money. I can remember in elementary school, I would sell gum and candy at school on the black market to my customers, I mean to my friends, um, I did that, not because I needed it, just because I wanted to. I, I got my first sort of real job at age 14. Again, I didn't need it. I just wanted money. Even as a senior in college, I had 19 credit hours. I was engaged to be married. I worked full time, not because I had to, but just because I wanted more money. When I have money, I feel in control. I feel, I feel independent, right? I don't need anything from anyone. I feel powerful. Like I'm, I am master of my own existence, right? I can buy the things I want, things that give me pleasure and, and experiences that I enjoy, those, those, you know, that, that junk that my miserable heart continues to crave even now. It makes me feel safe. I mean, if we're honest, many of us, most of the problems that many of us experience are stuff that we can fix with money. If you have it, That is a huge sort of shield against the brokenness of our world, isn't it? So many of our problems we get to fix with money. Now, just just to be clear, none of this actually makes me happy. 
I mean, if I'm honest, right? None of it actually gives me a sense of, of life satisfaction or anything, anything that lasts beyond the next purchase because, you know, you have that, like three seconds before you start thinking about the one after that. Or that quick glance at your savings account. Don't look at your retirement right now, but maybe at the savings account, right? For a moment, you get this illusion of happiness. But, like, honestly, if given the choice between happiness and this illusion of control that comes with money, I'm really not sure which one I would pick, right? It's almost like we could rewrite some of our favorite worship songs on cash, the solid rock I stand. Or, or in cash alone, my hope is found. It is my light, my strength, my song, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of cash, I stand. I'm probably going to get struck by lightning. Um, it's okay, just don't touch my money, okay? Right? And I'm not, I'm not alone, am I? Uh, Steve Martin once said, I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks, got a first sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater, and of course, I bought some dumb stuff too. <laughs> and we all, we all want to know how to get a little bit more of it, don't we? So here's some great advice from Malcolm Forbes. I, I, gave, I made my money the old-fashioned way. I was very nice to a wealthy relative right before he died. Or J.P. Getty, I love this one. My formula for success is rise early, work late, and strike oil. It's like, yeah, that's, that's good. And yet we all, we all know that it ruins us, don't we? Here's, here's what James Grant has to say. Insofar as there is a lesson in history, it's that human beings are not good with large sums of money, anything over $136, right? And yet, is there anybody in this room who doesn't want just a little bit more? Just a little bit. Because money offers us the world. But the reality is, if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. That's kind of the big idea from what, what the teacher has to say, Ecclesiastes here, to say to us today. If, if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. Before we get any further, let me, let me pray for us. I'm Nathan, by the way, if I haven't met you, one of the pastors here. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's word together. Father, I do pray that you would open your eyes, open our eyes uh, by the power of your spirit to what you have to say to us today from these words written so long ago, these words that are, that are difficult in this, this, this strange little book in the Old Testament. God, I pray that you would see the way, we would see the ways in which we make money into idols. And God, even now as I say these words, I know that for many of us, we're like tensing up in this room because we, we, know, we love money so much, we don't want to hear what you have to say. And so God, would you open our hearts, open our minds, open our hearts to receive what you have through the power of your spirit today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. If you haven't already, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're kind of uh, jumping through, we're, we're, we're working through Ecclesiastes, uh, looking at these various themes. So it's a little bit different than maybe we would normally do a series. Ecclesiastes is very repetitive, so we're just kind of looking at key themes throughout this book. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, this is essentially what the teacher says, that you cannot find rest with, with money. Now, we've been, we've been studying this, this book for the last uh, few weeks, and, and just to remind you, or if you're new here, it's really important, like you got to know, like Ecclesiastes is written from the perspective of a wealthy old man 
who's literally had everything he could possibly have, but he's looking back on his life, and he's just completely dissatisfied. Like every, every, every way he's turned, it's just kind of a, he's grumpy as all get out, right? He's, you kind of get that tone from him. And he, he kind of deconstructs life as we know it. He's looking back, telling us, right? So like, don't make the same mistakes I made, basically. It's not, you're not going to find your hope there. You're not going to find meaning or satisfaction there. All of it, he says, is hevel. That Hebrew word, right, translated as, as vanity or meaningless, it literally means vapor or smoke. That if, if life is purely under the sun, it's a phrase he uses often, with no reference to a God over the sun, is kind of the idea, then everything is just hevel. It's just smoke. Pleasure, we talked about, work, and even wealth. An old, old man teacher, he summarizes it with these words in verse, verse 12. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Come on, that can't be true, can it? The laborer, he says, the one, the one who has just enough, right? So the person has a job, right? He's, he's, got, he's got an income, but he has just enough. Like, that person sleeps great. But the full stomach of the rich is kept awake by indigestion and worry. Because if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. And he gives us four reasons here why that's true. Why from his perspective, again, a person who has everything looks back and says, these are the four reasons you cannot trust wealth. First, you will never be rested because the more you have, the more you want. Right? You know it. I know it. Like, there's nobody in this room who hasn't had that experience, right? The more you have, the more you want. Nah, I just want a little bit more, right? Just a little bit. But how long have you been saying that? Your whole life, right? And so what's, what's the most common definition of a rich person? Somebody with a little bit more than me, right? That's how we think of it. None of us fit into that category. It's just somebody with more. And so he starts this section off with verse 10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And, and again, a, a poor person can love money and a rich person can love money. Regardless of where you're at on that spectrum, if you're obsessed with money, that's the idea, right? Whether you have a lot or a little, if you're obsessed with money, you will never have enough and you will never be satisfied. Arthur Brooks, for example, uh, in his, his outstanding books, From Strength to Strength, uh, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Pur- Purpose in the Second Half of Life. So yes, I'm, I'm reading books about the second half of life. It's so depressing, isn't it? It's a great book, though, and if you're, uh, if you're my age or older, uh, it's probably one you should read. It's, it's really, really good. He talks about, yes, there is satisfaction in money and success and the things that we, we point to. There is some satisfaction there, but you always want more, he says. And so to get more, what do we do? We work longer hours, we take more stressful jobs, and then we end up actually neglecting the things that we know actually satisfy us, like friendships, family, growth and and character, right? We know those things make us happy. But somehow we get in this pattern where we say to ourselves, man, if I just work a little bit, a few more hours, if, I just, if I'm just a little bit better here, then I'll have something, I'll have enough to, you know, buy something I don't want to impress people I don't like, right? 
And the more you have, the more you want. That's the first reason. Second, we often forget this one. They go together, but we forget this one. The more you have, the more you need. The more you have, the more you actually need, right? So it's not, it's not just that your wants increase, but so do your needs with more wealth. More money, more problems, right? We know that. We've experienced that. But look what he says in verse, verse 11. He says, when goods increase, like when your wealth increases, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? He's saying the more you own, the more help you need, the more expenses you have. And all you get for your reward is you get to watch other people eat the fruit of your labor. Super fun, right? Because the more you have, the more you need. I think, for example, of, of one, of my, one of my personal heroes. You guessed it, Johnny Cash. Love this guy. Johnny Cash. So uh, he, sold, he sold 91 million albums. I mean, he actually spent a huge portion of, of his life, decades, actually, making millions of dollars, but living paycheck to paycheck. Like, enslaved to the concert schedule because he had, like, 40 or 50 people working for him. And so he would, he would overextend himself. He, had no, he was exhausted. He had no time for creativity. And yet he continued to, like, if you're familiar with some of his work, like, he turned out some really terrible stuff. Simply because he had to, right? I mean, if you don't believe me, Google the song later, the music video, Chicken in Black. Oh, Johnny. I mean, it's terrible, Right? He ended up in Branson for a while, right? Because, I mean, God forbid, like, just because he needed the money, somebody had to take care of his ostrich, right? And it, it's ridiculous. Like, we point fingers at, please take that away. It's so just, oh, it just breaks my heart, right, that guy? Uh, but it's easy to point fingers, but we do the same things, don't we? You've done it. I've done it. The more you have, the more you end up needing. I mean, I'm the, I'm the same way here. Last year, we, we ended up, uh, moving out into the country a little bit to an old house. Um, so it's a, you know, financial upgrade in my life. And so I've arrived, people. I have everything I've ever wanted, and I'll be happy forever, I'm sure, right? But like with this, it's like now, now I've got a huge lawnmower I have to maintain, right? And a, and a chainsaw, and we've had a possum problem, okay? And I've, I'm on the second bathroom that I'm remodeling, and now we've got this great yard, and we have this, this crappy deck, right? So I've got I to gotta replace the deck and all this. And then, then I look at my neighbors, and all their yards are bigger than mine, right? And the cycle begins again. And I'm sorry I said the C word. It just came out. <laughs> sorry, parents. And we all, we all know, right, that if... If you buy a bigger house, your utilities go up. But like if, and if you get a fancy car, then you have fancy repairs. Like all of that escalates. But, it, but it's more than that. And this is a bit of what the teacher, old man teacher, is hitting on here. When your wealth increases, your social obligations increase. They change. Your kids expect more. Your spouse expects more. Your friends expect more. Because with more money, you move into a new circle of relationships. And so you, some of you have done this. You've experienced this. You went from being the richest person in your neighborhood to being the poorest person in your new neighborhood, right? Or, or you walk into the office, right? You've got this new promotion. You're finally a vice president or, or whatever. But now all of your colleagues are vice presidents. And they all have been on better vacations than you have. And they all drive ni- nicer cars. And now you've got to buy a boat and a place to store the boat and a, a truck to drive the boat and a lake to use the boat. Like, it all escalates, Right? Many of us in this room, not all of us, and I, I want to I be careful there, right? 
But there's enough of us in this room who right now, if you don't look at your retirement, you have more money than you've ever had in your entire life. More success, more accolades. And with that, you have more bills, more stress, more expectations, more exhaustion, and for some of us, sometimes, just plain misery. Because if you look to money to be your satisfaction, if you think, if you think you're going to find rest there, it will only leave you restless. So that's the second thing. Don't worry, there's only two more, guys. We're halfway through the bad news. Third, the more you have, the more you lose. So now, now you can look at your retirement portfolio, right? The more you have, the more you lose. And I think, right, we all feel this in some way or another right now, whether it's, whether it's inflation or the housing market, the national debt, the unpredictability of, this, of the stock exchange. And I, I never cared about any of that stuff, right? Most of us never did until we had some of it, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a little bit of anxiety that comes with a little restlessness. And so, like, it stinks to lose a few bucks in Bitcoin. Any, any confessions here? No, I'm not going to ask. But some of you, in other ways, have lost thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, one way or another. It's no wonder the rich can't sleep. Because in the back of your mind, you, all, you, know, you know that it doesn't actually give you the control it promises, right? You know that. And so in the back of your mind, there's this constant fear, like, when is the bottom going to fall out? When is your debt going to catch up? When are you going to lose that high-pressure job? What if you can't pay off your student loans? What if the retirement is not enough? When are you going to lose it all? Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, and he has nothing in his hand. The idea that nothing to pass off, right? No legacy to leave. Which leads us to the fourth thing. The more you have, this is, this, is the, this is the ultimate reason, really. The ultimate reason you will never rest uh, if you look for rest here. It's that one day, rich or poor, you're still going to die. Like, and then what? And we, I mean, we know we can't take it with us, but we still kind of think we can for a second. Like, we think more and more we can possibly have. It'll, it'll give me life and hope. But like, rich or poor, we all have this in common. It doesn't matter how much you make or how much you own. Rich or poor... Both enter the world naked and both leave essentially naked with nothing. And so the teacher's saying, what's the point, really, if that's all it is? Verse, verse 15. And he came from his mother's womb. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came in, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? You work, and you work, and you work. You accumulate, you got more and more stuff, and then more stuff, and more stuff, and you might even end up with a mountain of wealth at the end. Who really cares? You still get put in a box, lowered into the ground, and while you're being eaten by worms, somebody else is going to get bored with your junk. That's how, it is. That's how it goes, right? Have you ever been to an estate sale? Is, it, is there anything more depressing than that? Pilfering through some dead person's junk, because they're gone. Reminds me of this New Yorker cartoon of a man on his deathbed. I should have bought more stuff. It's funny, right? Because it's insane. Like, nobody, nobody says that. 
We, we know that. It's ridiculous. Nobody says that, and yet how many of us, even right now, are living like that? In verse, verse 17, he sums it up. Moreover, all his days, the rich person, right, the one who finds his, his identity and his wealth, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. The idea there is he gets up so early that he has breakfast in the dark. He gets home so late that he has dinner in the dark. And, and his, his take-home pay, essentially, is vexation, sickness, and anger. Yeah, but it'll be different with me. Right? Because I only need a little bit more. Or, or maybe, maybe they, well, none of, this, none of this really applies to me because I don't, I don't really have that much, right? But listen, again, rich or poor, you can still be obsessed with money. Or maybe, maybe you just think, yeah, but I, I've heard all this. Like, I know, I know. And I've tried, I've tried to change, but I still really like money. And I don't want to end up like this. Is there another way? Well, yeah, I, I think so. If you, if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. But if you look to the giver for rest, you will find it. Because look, look where the teacher goes next in verse, verse 18. Look where his emphasis is. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment, all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So all of a sudden, it's sort of a rare moment for the teacher. God becomes the focus here. And twice the teacher says, right, God has given and and he refers to the, the gift of God. You see, the reason we love money so much is because money makes the same kind of promises that God makes. They promise the same things, right? And so the question for all of us is like, which, which one do we actually believe is going to come through for us? They promise the same thing. Money promises us salvation when life falls apart. It promises security and control, sense of power over our own lives, pleasure and satisfaction. And this is why you can so easily turn worship songs into songs about money. They promise the same things. But only one of those things doesn't leave us restless. And if we actually trust in the giver to keep you safe, to give you your daily bread, to satisfy you with real joy, money begins to lose its power. And so, so for some of us, it just begins by, by like repenting. Saying, God, I've, I've treated money like a God. And I've, I've looked to money to give me what only you really can give me. And to just own that before God and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I've, I've blown it. Like, forgive me and, like, change me. Help me to, to, do, to do better. Like, so, so for some of us, like, that's, that's where we have to begin, just to acknowledging that you've been looking to something else to give you what only God can give you. And when we've, when we've done that, then, there are, there are two habits in particular that train our hearts to look at the giver instead of the gift. Two things in particular. First, if you want to find rest in the giver, like you want to train your heart to do this, first, you have to embrace grateful enjoyment. 
This is really where the teacher spends the majority of his time in that last section, right? The teacher's solution doesn't say, well, money's, he doesn't say money's bad, right? Stuff is bad or pleasure or anything like that. In fact, the Bible teaches that God made a world of abundance. Like he made us for a garden where, we, where there was no lack, where we had everything we needed and beyond. And so, of course, we, we have these cravings. They're left over from the garden, right? Where we had everything we needed and more. And even though our world now is broken and our, our attachments are broken, we can still enjoy God's gifts with gratitude. This is, this is the theme of these verses, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your work. Enjoy what God has provided for you. But remember that he is the giver. John Ortberg writes, gratitude is not something we give to God because he wants to make sure we know how much trouble he went to over us. Gratitude is the gift God gives us that enables us to be blessed by all his other gifts. The way our taste buds enable us to enjoy the gift of food. Without gratitude, our lives degenerate into envy, dissatisfaction, and complaints, taking what we have, what we have for granted and always wanting more how true this is for so many of us, right? Instead of, instead of gratitude, we think, well, I, I worked hard for that stuff. I earned it. I'm, in, I'm entitled to it. Which only feeds the dragon inside us. Instead, we just need to learn to say thank you. All the time. Every day. Every moment. Every, everything that God has given us to just say thank you over and over and over again. And then to enjoy those gifts that he's given. For only he can give us that rest. Build, build it into your life. Like, when are you going to say thank you to him? You know, for me, for me, that's, that's how I start my day in, in prayer. It's often how I end my day as well. And frankly, every prayer, I, I try to start by just telling God, like, thank you for, I mean, there's no end, right? It's not hard to come up with stuff that I'm grateful for. And the more we do that, the more it, our hearts lose their allegiance to the stuff, right? To the gifts, and gain their allegiance back to God. For he's the only one who can give us the rest that we crave. And then, and then second, so the first thing, right, is, is in grateful enjoyment. The second thing is, is generous living. It's like you knew it was coming, right? The reality is, like, if you want, if you want freedom here and joy, you've got you've to pry open your stingy little fingers and be willing to give. To embrace generous living. Nothing frees us from our slavery to money and stuff like giving it away. And the more it hurts, frankly, the more you probably need to do it, right? To, to train our hearts. It's like, I don't need this. And as you do it, like if you've learned this lesson, you know that actually, wow, that was, it gave me longer and more satisfying joy than the latest purchase on Amazon or the last time I looked at my savings account, right? That's, that's where joy is. Give. I mean, the reality is, if you're not a generous person, and you, I think you know who you are, right? If you're not a generous person, like, you will never get over this hurdle. Like, you will, you will never have rest when it comes to money and stuff. You will always crave more, and it, it, will, it will drive you crazy, right? Because there will always be people around you who have more. You have to be, you have to be generous. Give, give to your church. Give to those in need. Give simply for the pleasure of it. Give for your own good, right? For the sake of your own soul. And I realize some of you, you know, any, anytime we pastors talk about money, it's like, well, of course the pastors say, give to the church, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, but listen, pastors are just as guilty as this stuff. Like I, like I said, I love money. And it is, it is hard for me to let go of it 
just like it is for any of us. And yet I can tell you from my own experience, when I have done that, it has been followed with joy. Which is what we should expect, isn't it? For Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do we believe that? Do we actually believe that? But this is exactly what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? Jesus gave up all the treasures of heaven to come here and rescue us. And even as we sang a moment ago, right, Jesus paid it all. Praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead, that we, we have nothing left that we, that we owe because of it. Like, he's, he has everything. He's, he's given everything to us, and we can respond to him with joy, right? He left all, he gave it all up so that we may be rich with life, real life, not the kind of fictional life that we think we can carve out on our own, but real life and forgiveness for our sin, for our stinginess, for our self-indulgence. The power to actually change and rest for our restless hearts. That is the kind of rest that money just can't buy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, only you can do this work. God, even as I speak these words, I know my own tendencies. And I, and I know how hard it is to hear words like this as well and feel like, ah, but I don't want to. God, pry open our fingers by the power of the Spirit. Not because you need something from us, but because that's where life is. That's where joy is. And that ultimately is what we long for. And so thank you, God, for these words of the teacher written so long ago from Ecclesiastes that remind us of how futile our efforts so often are. Give us gratitude. Give us generous hearts. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, give us joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.